Have you ever seen something go down on the news and thought, boy, that is terrible. I wish I could help. And thought, well, this is all I do. I do this thing for my job or this is the only thing I know how to do well. But that can't help those people who are very, very far away. Well, you're not alone. Uh, this is why charities exist because people don't know what to do to help and so they donate to charities and hopefully those charities take that cash and help the people that they are intended to. And that is exactly what Summer Sivioglu did just a couple of weeks back. An absolute super chef who is a, uh, a superstar of the, the chef world uh, here in Australia and in his home country of Turkey. Summer saw what happened in the terrible earthquake that afflicted both Turkey and Syria and went, what can I do to help? So he put some stuff together and he has made quite the difference. Yeah, you could follow along uh, with his uh, journey to help, Soma Sivrioglu, S-O-M-E-R-S-I-V-R-I-O-G-L-U on Instagram. We're going to talk about what it's like to help, what it's like to feel so far away from home when something goes bad, and food. We talk a lot about food. This is a great conversation with Soma Sivrioglu. I can't wait for you to hear it, but first I've got to play some ads to pay the people that help me make this show. You might hear some ads, you might not. Here we go. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. On the table, there's always conflict. You know, there are the uncles and the aunties and everything. Everyone has a different political stand, you know, social stand. And but they come over the table and it's just like all of a sudden there you start to talk things that put you all together with the family. And you started co- to talking about grandma's cooking, you know, how she cooks this. And you never have that anywhere else. It's pretty much just gets everyone together. And that's what I love about food. I mean, more than the food itself. That is Turkish Australian super chef Soma Sivrioglu. This is Osha Ginsburg, better than yesterday. G'day, welcome. This is Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osher Ginsberg. Thanks for being here. This is a show that is here to make your day-to-day better than yesterday. It's been doing that since 2013. Does what it says on the box. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we've got a conversation here that'll help make your day-to-day better than yesterday. And that's all we're here to do. Uh, Mondays and Wednesdays, I've got a guest, and Fridays, it's just you and me. Last couple of Fridays, I've been playing a little bit of what's been going down uh, on the uh, NTNN and NNN news shows, which has been super fun. We've got a few more gigs coming up, May the 3rd to the 7th. I got the days wrong the other day. Uh, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th as part of the Sydney Comedy Festival. We're at the Manning Bar. Tickets are on sale now. Special guests every night. Different show every night. You can come more than once. It'd be amazing. I'd love to have you there. The shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival went sick. I'd love to have you there. I want to tell you about my guest today, who is quite a superstar. Summer Sivrioglu is a, he's a chef. No, he's a super chef. He's the guy from MasterChef in Turkey. Like he's the guy. Uh, he can't walk down the street there. Uh, he's such a star. Uh, he's an incredibly successful chef here in Australia. He's just opened a new restaurant called uh, Medano in Sydney. He's got a, a number of restaurants in Australia and he's, 
you know, an incredibly successful guy who has such an extraordinary philosophy around food, which I was just thrilled to speak to him about. But we also really connected on what it was like because he's, you know, left his home country of Turkey in his mid-20s, all his family and friends, many are still there. What it was like to look back and see the absolute devastation that happened to his country through the earthquake that happened just a couple of weeks back in Turkey and Syria and what he could do to help. So what he what he can do is he can cook, he can put on massive big charity nights. He put on a huge event at Rockpool, uh, which is a super fancy restaurant in, in Sydney, made a heap of money and a whole bunch of people wanted to help him out. So they all, you know, really got on board. But he's also selling hampers through his Instagram at Somersivrioglu, S-O-M-E-R-S-I-V-R-I-O-G-L-U. And the hampers are full of uh, Turkish goods, uh, but also uh, one of our podcast sponsors and the people that help bring the comedy festival show to life, Dresden. Uh, who make fantastic glasses and sunglasses, are already getting involved with that as well. So there's Dresden glasses and there's hampers as well. So it's not like the people in Turkey and Syria, it's all better. No, people still need help and they still need a lot of your help. And if you know, you'd like to help and also have some tasty treats and a great pair of specs, jump on Instagram as Somer Sivrioglu, S-O-M-E-R-S-I-V-R-I-O-G-L-U. He's a fantastic man to speak with. And I adored speaking with Summer because just talking about the philosophy of food to him and what what food does doesn't just taste good. It does so much more for you, for your family, for your community. And the philosophy that he brings to that is so evident. And it certainly made me think differently about the meals that I ate after I sat down and chatted with him. And I hope it does the same for you. Enjoy this conversation with Summer. I'm so grateful to see you today, uh, but I am most unhappy with what I had to do to prepare for this, which was look at food that I cannot eat because <laughs> I'm, I'm celiac. <laughs> and Turkish food to be more, yeah. Bro, I'm, ah, I'm celiac. Okay. And I, I wasn't always no, okay. celiac. Some, like, I don't eat meat. That's fine. Middle Eastern, no problem. But, oh my God, the pastry. Look, I have goosebumps thinking about <laughs> like some of the dips. Oh my god! I miss. I don't miss much. I miss chewy, chewy bread, chewy fucking bread. Oh, that's what I miss. Yeah. Summer. Oh. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not going to get um, stomach cancer, so that's nice. But I miss. It. No, no. <laughs> I miss that. I'm so happy to see you, mate. Like it's what you're doing is is extraordinary. And like I, I lived away from my country for 10 years when I was in America and I watched Australia go through nothing compared to what you've watched your country go through. Uh, but I, I, at mm. times I felt way, way, way too far from home. I'll, we'll start here and then we can just kind of go to the delicious food. Definitely. Um, what is it? What do people here in Australia? What do they need to understand? What is it like to be someone who, who grew up in Turkey, who who moved here like in their mid twenties, to to mm. still have family connections, to place, to home, to people, and to start seeing text coming through, start seeing the news, watching vision, watching pictures of that kind of devastation? What's that like for you? Ah, look, I mean, it's just, you just live in two, two different worlds, isn't it? I mean, you just wake up on a nice morning. You say, this today is going to be a good day. You know, you just wake up and then you see terrible news, you know, I mean, with the earthquake and everything like that. And the worst thing is you can only share those feelings online because obviously no one in here knows about it. But it's like, you because especially for me, I was there four days ago. I only came four days before the... Uh, before the earthquake and that was really touching and it was like you know like should i go back what use am i going to be if i go back what can i do in here so you just go process through the five uh five stages of grief yeah. first you ignore it then you you know then you accept it then you say what am i gonna do about it and um you know i'm just like you know i'm I, I contemplated that that you because you know when something this big happens and when you are a um, well-known TV figure in there, everyone is asking when are you coming? You know we need you back in here. Yeah, and um, I can't because you know it takes too long and I got other obligations in here too. 
So you just straight away switch and say, look, what can I do from here? How can I increase the awareness of my other country? You know, it's just, I don't feel Australian. I don't feel Turkish, typical, you know, first generation immigrant. Of that course. I'm, I'm, I'm in between, you know, I take, I take the best of both worlds. Mate, <laughs> I came here when I was a baby. I came here when I was a baby. So my mom uh, from Lith- is Lithuanian and my father uh, is Czech. So I absolutely understand what it is to, this is Australia, this is amazing, and the the bread isn't black enough. We're going to have to find some, no, it's not, we need black bread. Like, now it's easy. (laughs) But in Brisbane in the 80s, it was like like one person. (laughs) I think her name was Borgena or something. We had to drive to her house to get it. You know, I understand what it is to be in, in two countries. So, and you mentioned a, you mentioned something really important. Like you want to help, but what use would I be? Like that is at the same time, uh, it's a difficult feeling to be with. So when you looked mm. and you thought, well, you know, you can help. You are, as you mentioned, you're a, 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 a very well-known uh, person uh, on television in, in, in Turkey. When you looked inside yourself and you thought, well, what, what can I do? What would be effective? What kind of things did you run through b- b- before you found something you could you could do to help? Look, I mean, obviously, what I can do part is easy because I can cook and I can call people to eat my food, and I have restaurants so they can come over there and they can try to um, they can eat the food, and we can pretty much just share the sorrow and and talk about it, and I can make people aware of it, and that's exactly what I have done. I pretty much uh, opened up one of my restaurants that happened on a Thursday. So on Sunday, I said, we just doing like, you know, kebabs. I called some of my friends, coffee, come over on a Sunday. It's just on the vineyard station. So there's a big park. So if there's extra people coming, they can do takeaway and go in there. And we had 2,000 people turned up. Wow. And, you know, only then, that was the first night that I could sleep yeah. because I said, I did something. I mean, of course... It's nothing in compare because this is the magnitude of the um, disaster is indescribable. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, more than 50,000 people lost. Probably there's at least that many people that we do, that are uncounted for. It's the biggest disaster, natural disaster we faced in that area. Mm. But, you know, at least that I feel like I could do something I could contribute in some way. And people were extremely generous. There were people that coming and giving me uh, giving me like you know buckets of cash yeah, like mm. just putting putting in my hand bundles of cash wow. and you know a lot of my comrades love cash so they they, they all have <laughs> they were all just giving me all that money just put it in there <laughs> i'm just saying like what am i going to do with it so, Look, so i'm not, I'm not here to, I'm, I'm not here to enforce stereotypes mate but uh i, I had a I had a moment with my motorcycle <laughs> no, I, I had a moment with my motorcycle <laughs> yesterday and and the guy that was here to help uh, me get my motorcycle off the road, he goes, yeah, cool, man. How much for cash? I'm like, I can't do <laughs> Cash is, uh, in some, ca- cash is all everything. For some countries, cash is cash. Is cash. You know? Cash is cash. We love it. I, I get it. So, I get it. Yeah. But when you're fundraising, yeah. it's like, um, I know that too. When you're fundraising, you're like, don't give me cash. There's all sorts of ethics around this. We've got to be careful here. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least don't give it to me. Just put it in the box. <laughs> but <laughs> it's just about anyway. Yeah. Uh, but it all went to good. Yeah. <laughs> it all went to good. It all went to good use. And, you know, I mean, it's, and we, kept on doing different events a lot of australian chefs were starting to call me uh, and the food identities and we we doing an event with them like you know with 12 of the best australian chefs cooking turkish and syrian food so everyone is contributing and i love like you know when i say i love picking up on the best parts of both of my countries mm. that's what i love about australia you know we are we are always ready to help and uh, that 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 was very emotional you're selling hampers as well. So people who wanted to help you that weren't chefs were getting involved. What kind of things were people coming to you with for the hampers? Uh, look, I mean, we we had three different hampers because so many different people were uh, are offering it and we still have it. We have two uh, hampers with some Turkish groceries and my book in it. Things that you can cook. Just look at the book and cook using all those ingredients like the pepper pastes and um, roasted eggplants and things like that. But there's also digital hampers with, you know, some of our good friends contributing digital hampers uh, from their companies as well. So we're doing both of them. So you can do 
you can really contribute in any way. That's absolutely fantastic. So you still you've still got these hampers out there? We do, we do, and you can just you know if you go into my account, you will see all of them where we have it and where where they're available. So and that has been an amazing offer of sponsorship. People putting in things, you know, um, everything from glasses to uh, hamper to, to, to groceries um, and services and other things like that. Gift vouchers. Included. Yeah, yeah, I th- and I think that's uh, I think that's how I I found out about it because I'm I work with the guys that make Dresden glasses. I love those glasses. I <laughs> yeah, I, I love them now. I've been wearing them for years, uh, and <laughs> and I, I, they they mentioned that they were working with you on this, and it was yeah. man, it sounds delicious. Uh, it's fantastic. And it was great because like everyone jumped in straight away, saying, "Look, this is what I do. What can I do with that?" So it was. It really grows organically, and I love it. You know, it's just like everyone was, everyone is chipping it. One of the great challenges of fundraising is, okay, we've got all this cash. How do we make sure that it gets where it needs to go? How have you, mm. ha- how have you been able to track the progress of what's happening with the funds in Turkey? What we have done is the first bit we just it was done so uh, quickly. We send it to the. Uh, most trusted NGO in Turkey. And the second one, we send it to a food fund because that's what was needed at that part. So the first one, they just needed tents. So we just send it to someone that are just doing rescue missions and just tents and things like that. The second lot with the cooking at the restaurant, I send it to the food relief funds uh, because they are the ones that are, uh, that's the second stage uh, of they are just giving hot food to the people that are in need. And now, uh, for the big organ, big event that we are doing at Rockpool, we are giving it to UNICEF because then this stage it's about looking after. Now, okay, now that it's over, hopefully we won't see anything like this again. But there are children, orphan children, and there are people in need. And then we are working with UNICEF, UNICEF Australia, and UNICEF Turkey, and they are looking after children and make sure that they have a safe future. Um, so we've done it in three researches, and they're all recorded. For this this Rockpool, the Rockpool fundraising event, it's not a cheap restaurant to go to. It's like not something you you know you take not the kids all. to on a Tuesday. You know, <laughs> no, um, no. when you see people lining up to drop a couple of hundred bucks before they've even bought wines on this. And it be so successful. What is what? What do you feel when you when you see that kind of support? I mean, the first thing the, the first thing is when the I was just talking to a, uh, talking to Joanna Saville, who directed the international food festivals, and she's done a lot of food events, so she's very experienced in our industry, in our sector. And I was just saying, look, I want to do something. I don't even know where to start because I've always been an attendee on these sort of events, but I wouldn't know how to organize it. And within 15 minutes, she said, she called me. I said, look, do you want to do that rug pull? I spoke to Corey. And I said, yeah. I was thinking more like, a, you know, somewhere a bit more at my level. But she said, no, let's do that rug pull and let's start calling our friends. And everyone I called, like, you know, there are... Chefs coming from Melbourne. Uh, ben Williamson is coming from Brisbane. Shane Delia is coming from Melbourne. All TV chefs. Manu is coming. Colin Fastnage is coming. So they they all said, "Yeah, we'll be there. No problem at all." And they like they've done it so easily. And but it was it was mainly Joanna and Corey from Rockpool that they said, "Yeah, we'll open the doors because they are the ones that's gonna." That's contributing the most. I went one time to Rockpool. It was the most opulent dining experience I think I've I've mm. ever had. You know what I also love? I love a big man drinking a very very small coffee. Summer. So <laughs> 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 That's on the coffee. <laughs> man, I've got because it's warm here today, so I've put my espresso in some <laughs> iced water today. But yeah, uh, that's it for me. Like, okay, we should talk about coffee. But like for me, that's the only thing I have. Caffeine. That's all I've got. It's my last, my last thing is caffeine. Summer, <laughs> but I've had Turkish coffee. My father, the Czech one, uh, had the little copper thing with the long handle, and he used to make uh, it. He used Jesuit. to ma- he used to make it on a Sunday uh, at our house in Brisbane. He and you know, I remember the grounds. I remember everything. I, I love the ritual around it. 
you know, and mm. it's almost like the Japanese, like there's a kata around it, you know, there's a, it's not a, it's not a coffee unless you've done these 10 things first. Tell me about the enjoyment of food when there is ritual before you actually put it in your mouth. Coffee is a great example for that because, and you said, I mean, there, there's definitely rituals about it, you know, like even our breakfast in Turkish means before coffee. So we don't drink coffee at breakfast. Coffee is just pretty much just to finalize it. So the literal translation of breakfast in Turkey is before coffee. So you eat your food and after that the coffee comes up. So it's just like the, you know, the last show, you know, that's the finale, grand finale. And there's a ritual. You have to cook it very slowly. It needs to be brewed in like 20 minutes. The fire needs to be really low. Uh, you shouldn't overboil it. And you know, you need to have the crema on top. And, you know, you cannot fix it if it's if it's not done right. So if, and, and you boil it with the sugar. So you don't add the sugar after it. So you also need to know everyone's order, you know, because there's the... There's no sugar, there's a bit of sugar, medium sugar, and a lot of sugar. <laughs> so you have to cook for, for a family of eight, you know, and if they get one of that, two of that, three of that, you just need to plan it and, you know, just to do it all in a cup. And the way that it's served, and, and there are so many rituals about it, and it's such a, like, you know, and, and that's what I love about my culture, because it's not... It's not an opulent culture, so to say. There's lots of abundance and variety of food, but it's simple stuff. But I mean, they perfect because they have simple stuff. They just perfect the execution about it. So you know, there's always rituals about any type of food or drink that you have in Turkish culture, and I love that part. Well, there's there's rituals in in any meal, but we might certainly mm. in in our culture here in Australia and certainly with the abundance of pre-packaged and pre-prepared food we get in a supermarket even wheat bix you know there's been that much work and baking and everything before that thing gets in your bowl like there's more to it than opening a box and milk on top and there you go there's yeah, yeah. you know there's there's a, there's a ritual about it is it is it to do with the anticipation what is it that makes the the ritual an important part of something being enjoyable to eat? It's I think it's the focus. Like, you know, it needs to be the thing needs to be about coffee at that time, whatever that time is. If it is that 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, you say, okay, this is the coffee time. You know, so you just pretty much just ate, you pretty much dedicate yourself to make the best coffee and people having that coffee together, having a really good conversation mm -hmm. and then dedicating that time to to the coffee that you are drinking, but also the people that you are drinking with. So, you know, it's a very good socializing, bonding part to it. So it's most of it's mostly just, you know, the coffee and the food, I always say, is the gelling part, like for mm. the conversation and people getting together and having that social interaction that we miss more and more every year. When you were a kid growing up in Istanbul, I'm guessing the table was not a quiet place. No. It's never a quiet place, especially in my... I mainly grew up with my grandmother, and it's the... You know, I just grew up in 70s when Turkey was turning from a traditional society into a modern mm. European society. So, you know, and on the table, there's always conflict. You know, there are the uncles and the uh, uncles and the aunties and everything. Everyone has a different political stand, you know, social stand. And but they come over the table and it's just like all of a sudden there you start to talk things that that get you together and that you know that put you all together with the family and you started to talking about grandma's cooking you know how she cooks this and you never have that anywhere else so it's you know, it's just like it's pretty much just gets everyone together and that's what i love about food i mean more than the food itself you know i just love that social combining aspect of it it's more than just putting food in your mouth it's more than just giving mm. your body the nutrition it needs isn't it yeah, also, I mean, you just also get the nutrition and nurture for your soul at that table because you're spending real time with the people that you like, you know, mostly you like on the table. But, you know, it just, it gets you together and you just talk about the food and everything like that. So, you know, any table in Turkey is always, like there's no, you don't have, I mean, I have a restaurant in Turkey, the average uh, size of a table is six. 
interview. You don't have twos and threes and fours. <laughs> like, you know, and, and this is like a modern restaurant in a very modern part of Istanbul. Still, six will be There's our no average two table top. size. I love it. Like, <laughs> yeah. get them while they're hot. Two top tables in Turkey, like nobody's buying them. <laughs> nobody's buying it, yeah. I love that. When you were when you were little, uh, your mom was a, a chef, so your mom cooking was definitely in in your family. Was there ever any option that you wouldn't go into this game? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do it at the beginning because you know my mom was cooking very traditional Turkish mezes, so she had a meyhane, which is like the tavern, Turkish tavern, that you go there and you drink rakı and wine. And uh, food is an accessory to that as well. But if you have good food, you get more people, obviously, coming for the food. But I was almost like, you know, I was just snubbing at it because I was saying, like, you know, I mean, my mom is doing it. Why should I do? Why should I cook? So, and then when I started cooking, I was never cooking Turkish food because it was like, that's what mom does. So I was interested in French cuisine, Italian, Italian cuisine. In Turkey, we had the pan-Asian cuisine, whatever that means. <laughs> so because unfortunately in there, when I was growing up, no one would know the difference between Chinese and Japanese. So, you know, if it is from that part, it's Asian. And they were calling it pan-Asian <laughs> for some Mate, reason. I've been to it. I, I, was... I have been I, in the, I have been to, uh, in the Middle East, I have been to a sushi restaurant. Everyone's like, it's the best sushi restaurant here. And it's all Filipino people. I'm like, okay, guys. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say anything. And the Filipinos we'll, we'll, like, we'll be respectful. Don't say, <laughs> we'll be respectful. We're on a good gig here, bro. Keep it quiet. <laughs> and that's fine. And why would you? Um, why would you? Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. And then when I came here and, I, and then I learned, and, and I always say this, I mean, Australia has been amazing to me because it allowed me to express myself. I mean, I lived in US, I lived in UK. Um, more, more, more so in US. They want you to to adapt to their dominant culture. Uh, that wasn't the case in here. It was in here like more people. I was trying to because I'm an immigrant, and the number one thing for immigrant is you try to fit in first before yeah. you can express yourself. You just try to fit in. You just want to be part of the community. And I was just trying to cook Turkish food in the way that the Australians would like, or I assume they would like. But they were saying, no, 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 we just want to have the thing that we had in Turkey and we want mm. you to cook, you know, more authentic, more yourself. And I, that changed my way of cooking in here as well. So I really fall into it. And I was always saying that I still say that I wish I learned Turkish cooking better when I was younger, you know, when my <laughs> grandmother was around because she was amazing. Uh, but I developed that sense of, okay, people don't want the Australianized version of it. They want the real authentic version, which is fine with me because I know how to do that. Yeah, don't give us lemon chicken. Don't give us the you yeah, know, the, exactly. <laughs> which is why famously the the Chinese take well, like the oh, yeah. the the classic seventies eighties Australian Chinese takeaway staple was lemon chicken. Doesn't exist. <laughs> Made it for the Australian palate. You know, created it. So that Aussies were like, oh, it's Chinese food. It's like, well, he's made it up because it's sweet and it's chickeny. But oh. I, but I, I, I totally get, I totally get what you're saying. And it's interesting that you mention that because I, I lived in America. I was there for 10 years in America and mm. there is an expectation of assimilation. You know, there's an expectation to at least align yourself in a value sense with the, you know, with the dominant, with the dominant culture. How did that how did that play out for you when you were in America? Uh, uh, look, I mean, <laughs> I wasn't only in America. I was in Peoria, which is like two hours south of Chicago. But Illinois. You know, uh, real. Yeah, Peoria, Illinois. Illinois. It's like, yeah. what are you doing so, there? Like, like... Yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm really into cornfields. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, I was, working with a, I was working with a company, and that, that's where their, um, their headquarters were. Yeah, and wow. So I was like, I was just like in the real rust belt of yeah, America. Proper, and, yeah, proper. And, you know, I was, we were going to uh, Chinese buffets with, and their number one dish was frog legs. And I'm saying like, there's, we definitely confused in here. <laughs> it's just like, so it's, yeah, it's, it was, it was very different. And spending time in there, I really appreciated uh, being here in Australia, to be very honest. Yeah. Did you have a difficulty kind of engaging with that? 
Look, I mean, I was just, you know, I, was, I had, um, where I lived, we had lots of African-American friends and it, was, it gave me a great insight to understand their food culture and getting, and I think it's the best food in, in, in America is oh. the African-American food on the south. Um, so it, I just said, look, I just hang on to that. And I just started to learn about the way that they do things and, you know, just be, Funnily enough, although it was quite high, there was a lot of New Orleans influence where I was. A uh, lot of lot of African Americans migrated from there. I, I wouldn't know why, but I was hanging out with them and I'm learning their culture and you know just finding out their food. So it was enjoyable for me, but I wouldn't like I wouldn't like to leave that for a longer time because I yeah. I crave that. Uh, multicultural uh, society and then understanding and everything like that. Um, I mean, obviously, um, we know about all their problems that they're having, and I've, I've seen that firsthand when it, I was living there. It's it is it's amazing and horrible at the same time. But by the by, you mentioned the south. Did you get to the south? Did you eat some of that barbecue that has the smokers hanging off the side of the church? And those? Did you get to that? <laughs> Of course, I mean I went I went all, all like all the way down to Memphis. Yes, um, and then the rest of that and it's, it's an amazing food culture in there. I love it. So I then you go down more south, and then as you said, you see more of the Latino influence on top of yes. that as well. And these are all like, like flavors. When you talk about that, you get more flavors and more combinations. So yeah, I mean I love I love that culture. It's my I favorite. Never food met an em- never met an empanada that I, I didn't love, man. Like I, I lived in <laughs> I live in California and. Once I, once you've eaten like, and I went to Mexico a bunch of times, once you've eaten actual food in Mexico, like whatever I grew up with in Australia is like, no, that's just meat wrapped in bread covered in cheese. That is not exactly. a quesadilla. Yeah, that's just, uh, <laughs> takes bloody Tex-Mex. <laughs> Mate, uh, one of the most incredible things I ever had was, um, we call it prickly pear. I don't know what they call it in America, in, a, mm. in Mexico. Th- once they, cause that's terrible. It's like like a, a mouthful of bindi it's like so not yeah. bindi like uh, uh okra like um like it's so dangerous this but they have to de-spike CD it as well, yeah. they have to de-spike it but to eat that fruit and i had it deep fr- i had it fried like a like a cauliflower steak and it was okay. amazing <laughs> like the whole the whole leaf i know it has a fried. Yeah. bro it was not so, the leaf okay not the yeah, fruit the big okay. thing like this Okay. Like yeah, that yeah, thing, yeah. they cut it and it was chewy and the texture yeah, was amazing. Yeah. It was, mate, it was, oh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. <laughs> when you saw that, and it's often the case, you know, we see like, why is a taco the thing that people know? Because it's street food. You can hold it in one hand. You don't need a it's restaurant. A- you can do it out of a food truck. When you came to Australia and you saw that, I don't know, something like Goslemi, that's the thing that people know. Because it's street food. It's the thing you buy after the pub on the way home. How, how, what, what did you think when you're like, oh, this is, that's, a, no, it's more than that. No, no, I mean, first of all, I just said like, you know, out of any food that comes from a very street food culture, why do we have gözleme in here? Because in Turkey, you don't find that. <laughs> it's really? The only time that you have gözleme in Turkey is if you are traveling from north to south, especially on the Aegean coast, and you go through the villages. You don't know because they're all highways. But before, when you were going through the villages, the people on the villages, they will just, you know, just do some, uh, open up some door and put whatever they have. If they have cheese, they will do cheese. If they have animals, they will put mints and some greens and everything like that, and they will sell it. And so it was a true, in its form, it was a true street-style snack. But it's never been that popular in Turkey. So then I come to Australia, and in every open market that I go, you know, and I'm just obviously I'm going there for meat pie and sausage roll because I'm new, and I'm just saying, why do they have girls lemonade? Yeah. <laughs> you know, how did that become such a part of the culture? So I was very surprised, and I was I was you know I was gobsmacked with how successful it is because they will always have the queue. So good on them. I mean, I think it's a <laughs> it's a great street food snack, and people loved it in Australia. Um, but the one that surprised me most, obviously, was the kebabs. You know, we don't have kebabs like that in in Turkey. Obviously, I was just saying, like, what are they doing? Like, first of all, you don't eat kebabs after drinking. It's the 
It's the worst choice for a late night snack. <laughs> you know, we Mate, go, we I don't know. I've had soup. plenty of I've had plenty of kebabs at two in the morning that have been amazing. <laughs> I know I'm in risky waters in here, um, but then yeah, you don't put cheddar cheese or tomato sauce or anything like that. You know, in Turkey you'll just have some fresh bread and the kebab and some pickles. That's it. <laughs> Mate, so. when you say it like tomato sauce and cheddar, you're like. You're cheapening it. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm cheapening it. Sorry, mate. <laughs> so, mate, let's just let's just say if the pub closes at midnight, like as the minutes tick by after midnight, the standards of what we put into our mouth just just plummet. Okay, our standards for everything plummet. Whatever, whatever wasn't a good idea at midnight is now a great idea at two. And if I'm going to put like a mouthful of cheddar cheese tomato sauce in my mouth at two, yeah, I will. <laughs> it's no judging. I'm just stating. No, that. no, that, no, that's that's totally it's totally fine. When you are uh, when you are traveling, you know it must be really interesting to go around the world and see a country with your mouth. Mm. No, definitely. <laughs> I mean, that's and that's how I decide to travel. You know, I, I look at the I look at the food of the country before I look at anything if I'm going anywhere, and I love it. I mean, it's just I love traveling for food. I love hanging out with people around food. I love talking food. You know, I love sharing food, and I love people coming to my country for food as well. Uh, we done a number of food tours for Australia with Mae Mara but before it became quite hard for me to walk on the streets. So we stopped doing that because I cannot join them. <laughs> so, right, because you are you're um, a ma- you're a master chef uh, in Turkey. It's, yeah, it's yeah, it's a, which is as big. It's a huge TV show, like it is in anyway. You know, it's a it's a great format. It is, it is, but it's also celebrity culture there as well. So yeah, yes. no, it's very hard to walk and yeah. So yeah. and um I love it. I love it, but you know, it's not very convenient to do food tours with people that are asking you questions. Yeah. Um, uh, but we done a number of those tours. So I love just taking people around and introduce them to food. And I'm a true believer of gastro diplomacy as well. Like, you know, and when you have any issues between countries, I think one of the best things to use for that is to solve it through the food. Like discussing food, people come together. So I love that power of food that combines people as opposed to separating people, you know. So mate, there's a reason that we say, mate, you should come break bread. We'll talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like we're inventing anything. Like this stuff has been there for no, no. Have you ever seen those uh the studies into uh sentencing by judges before they've had lunch and after they've had lunch? No. Well let me tell you, if you or I ever get in trouble with the fuzz Aim, aim for getting your sentencing or aim for a judgment after the lunch break. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> anything late morning, like when, when you look at it, say they got like a 1,000 or 2,000 cases, when they looked at it right across the thing, anything late morning, I'm paraphrasing here, but anything late morning, not so positive, after the lunch break, fairly good. And the same goes, I think the other one they did was with uh, when two people come together and they're dealing with a moderator, so before they go to court. They found that after a lunch break, people came to an agreement way better than if they were trying to force an agreement before a lunch break. So structure your oh. days. Structure your days so you're making I'm a big taking, choice. I'm after taking food. notes here. <laughs> yeah. So after food, like if people ask you to come after do something, food, say, yeah. great, you make the big decision after lunch. You don't make the decision and then have lunch. You know, that's the, yeah. that's the, you know, that's, it, and it's because it changes us. It changes, you know, how we, how we feel about the world and we feel connected with each other, uh, which is beautiful. I wanted to ask, we were talked quickly about your restaurant experience when you were little, when you first started working with your mom, when you were a kid, mm. what are some things that you learned in that kitchen, that first kitchen that you now turn around to your first years and say, do this. And it's something that is still true. Like opening up and buying your own produce is the first thing that I learned from my mom, you know, because it always, it starts with produce. All we do is we get the good, good product and then we convert that into something better. So if you don't have a good produce at the beginning, there's nothing you can do much about, you know. So, and that's what I learned most from my mom. She was a great shopper uh, before being a great chef. And I think that's a prerequisite for being a good chef. So, and I still apply that in my restaurants, you know, wherever I can. 
I try to go to the Flemington markets once a week in here, and I see all the chefs that I admire. They are generally there one day a week. You know, just I mean, obviously it's not possible to do it every day because you do the service at night time. But once a week, just to go and look at the market, pick up things, and it inspires you. Uh, I think shopping is a very important part of cooking, and that's what I learned most from the mom. You know, because once you have a good product, it's easy to make something better out of it. And what about, like, not everyone's going to work uh, in a kitchen, but it's a, we've seen enough kitchens on TV, it's a high-pressure, high-stakes environment, dangerous, uh, you can get really, really badly hurt. There's a lot of money on the line, particularly if you're talking about a restaurant like Rockpool. What are some things that are super important in that environment that you've learned uh, that other people might be able to take away, particularly around working in a team? Well, it's you know it's one of the last regiments apart from apart from army. It's one of the last regiment uh, regimental systems that are working. You know the kitchens. It still has the brigade uh, philosophy behind it. You still have to. There's still an authoritarian figure in there, and it just ranks and everything like that. And there is a reason for it, as you said, because it is a very dangerous environment to yourself and to the customers as well. I mean, we always talk about how dangerous it is for the chefs. Also think about how dangerous it could be to customers. You know, you can poison 100 people if you are not careful about choosing the right ingredients and cooking it, you know. So, yeah. um, and, you know, it, it happened before, you know. So it's a very it's a very risky environment that you got to be very careful. You're working with perishable food. You know, you just got to cook it right. You can make or break people's day because they are coming there generally for a celebratory event. So it's high pressure, but it's where, that's why we find it quite difficult in hospitality sector now uh, because um, we are not used to that kind of work environment. So I find it with my, you know, my son started working with us this year and he's saying that this is too strict. Like, you know, I say, look, it's... You know, I, I mellow down a lot, but it's yeah, it's still it's still quite a strict environment because there is so many things you have to do. You are fighting with time, you're fighting with produce, you know, you're fighting with the uh, with the pressure of people coming in and getting financial everything like that. So it's a, it's a tough industry to be in. But if you love it, I mean, I couldn't do anything else. I mean, I tried doing <laughs> other things in my life. I'm, just Mate, me I'm the same. You. I don't know how to. I don't know how to do anything else. I've, you know, I yeah. say it all. I say it all the time. Hyman Ross to Michael Corleone in Godfather Part Two. This is the business we have chosen. I, I can't. I yes. don't know how to do anything else. This is it. We're back in a minute with Summer Sivrioglu. I've got to play some ads here and ask that if you are in Sydney at all, May 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, get along to NTNN, NNN. We're, make a, we're making a satirical news show. It's live. It's comedy. It's very funny. It's quite seditious. It's pretty dangerous. And it's shit tons of fun. And it's a different show every night, so you can come more than one night. We're on right after Shitface Shakespeare, so you can make a night of it. We're at Manning Bar at the University of New South Wales. I think there's... Oh, sorry, University of Sydney. Um, it's one of those ones I didn't go to. Um, I went to one university for six weeks. It was in Brisbane. I dropped out. It's too hard. Long story. But there's like three or four venues on site, so you can, you know, if you're going to go get a sitter or whatever, take the night and make a night of it there's more than one show on at the space where we are so you can see a couple shows on the night and um, make an evening of it and why not because uh, look honestly the oh, Melbourne Comedy Festival I, I really want to go again because I just there were so many things that I missed and so much inspiration and so many different thoughts and ideas it just happens to be around comedy but the thoughts and ideas that I got exposed to were really thrilling and really wonderful and I got a real, real jazzed from it but I'd love to see you there Tickets, Sarah, over in the show notes. We're back with more from Summer in a moment. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Tell me about in that environment, in the kitchen environment of like, say, Rockpool or something like one of your restaurants, like there's people, they've only got a certain amount of time, that food's been out of the fridge already for a couple of minutes, we have to cook it, otherwise it's going to go bad and we waste it, such and such. Tell me about listening in those environments. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's very important and it's just for the way that I manage it now is that I have a very relaxed kitchen for prep. And I have a very relaxed kitchen, more than it should be sometimes after service, because we all just clean up and have a beer or something like that. Everyone is relaxed. But during that three time, three hours, it is like very, very important. And all you need to do is just listen, do it right, and get it right and serve it in one go. Uh, because everything is dependent on each other. You know, someone needs to bring you the right sauce. Someone needs to cook it right. You need to prepare it right. You need to have the fresh ingredients. So at that three three hours of rush, you know, there's no democracy there. Yeah. <laughs> it just needs to be very regimented. And, uh, you know, it's just an army-like precision. Yeah. So it just at that three and. And what I do after that is that, like, you know, sometimes you break balls when you in that in that during that three hours. But I always bring people together, everyone and say, look, it's about the pressure. We done well. You know, we can do this better. So always finish up with a finish up on a high. And then if I break in one side, then I always like talk talk back to them at the end of it. And I try to mend the situation. I always mend the situation, whatever it is. And people understand that, you know. So I was gonna I was gonna ask about that because people are human, people make mistakes. Mm. What? How have you found is the is the best way to deal with someone not getting it right? Once you have that right team culture, they feel it themselves as well. I said, look, I I cannot do it. I mean, it, I don't remember the last time I I, I told someone, sorry, sorry, you're not cutting it. I mean, they always they already say it's too much pressure for me. So uh, it's just having the right team and uh, support them and talk to them, you know, having a coffee with them, train them again, that try to get them in because, I mean, we need skillful people in, in cooking, you know, in cooking because it's a hard industry to find talented people. In. So try to keep them in it. I mean, that's I see that as part of my, the older I get, I see my role as more as a mentor than a typical manager of things. So I generally just speak to them before, after, correct what they are doing wrong. You know, I always say to them, look, if you're not feeling 100%, don't come in, you know, just let's do the prep and then leave us to do the uh, leave us to do the service. So yeah, just nurturing them, talk to them. And always the important thing is always leave with a handshake. Doesn't matter what happens in service. And always understand. They are, they are humans as well, because I've been through that as well. I mean, I've been through some kitchens that I was just hating myself and it was breaking me. And, yeah. you know, if you, if you have seen that movie, The Menu, of course, it's, you know, <laughs> of course, it's, uh, um, it's a, there's satire in it, but yeah. there are so many validations to it. You can do that about our industry. You know, it's uh, like, you know, it's, 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 it's many in, in, in certain terms. It's interesting that you, have a wider view of the whole industry of like, I want to keep these people in the industry. I don't want to lose mm. them. And that's, you know, maybe something that didn't exist maybe when you started. Yeah. I mean, look, it's just first in any, I mean, in Turkey, in here, in US, wherever I worked, we end up with people that are, that are, that cannot fit into, into a mold. So you already start with, you know, you already start with people that are quite different, marginal people. They don't like working nine to five. They don't like working in an office. That's why they do this. And very interesting people. Like, you know, I've, it's, it's, it's such an interesting industry and such interesting characters that you work with. But misfits, you know, because we pretty much just work every time when everyone is having a break. And when everyone's having a whole day, we are working, you know. We go out for our, you know, it's perfectly okay for a culture to go out for a beer at 5 p.m., but we go out for a beer at 2 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> so, and that's, uh, and that's our after work drinks, you know, so it's not because, you know, and uh, then that, that becomes your part of life. 
And the only people that you know are the people that you work with because you don't like you don't have any social time with normal people. I'd say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's just it's just like you know it's a it's a very very different industry and it's very important for people that are the right fit for that industry to stay in the industry because it's beautiful. I love it. You mentioned going out for a drink at, at 2 a.m. I certainly hope you don't do that in Sydney because, uh, dude, the cultural heart of the city just got erased in about six months and 10 years later, it still can't come. Like, it's no. so sad. And, you know, um, obviously it was a reaction to some things that were happening on the street at the time and, you know, there was violence, there was a lot of other problems. What can you tell us about... You know, say for example, Istanbul, two in the morning, summer, hot, everyone's out. Like, there's clearly alcohol. There's clearly people yeah. that have been drinking since lunch. What's the difference there, summer? It's the community. Like, you know, it's just like people, like, you know, if you drank too much, people will look after you. It's just like there's that community, communal feeling about it. You don't see that much. I mean, obviously, there's, you know, Wherever there is alcohol, there was like you know increase in increase in the the way that people deal with each other, but it's not it's not as much as in here because I mean, first of all, people hang out more in groups, so people look after each other, and I don't see any fights that are coming out from you know people that are drinking out. I mean, it's safer in Istanbul at two a.m. in the morning than it is at. 12 p.m. during the day, you know, so it's just, um, uh, and people go out and there's so much, so much things to do. And not only, I'm not only talking about, you know, going, getting smashed and drinking up, people go out to have a shisha, you know, people go out to have a coffee or tea or something like that. So it's a very much a living society and it's, you know, it's all blending together. And I love that part about it. You know, there are, you know, there are as much non-drinkers in Istanbul as there are drinkers. You know, there are people going to the, there are people waking up for morning prayer at 4 a.m. And there are people coming back from clubbing at 4 a.m. And they end up at the same fast food shop. Uh, you know, one of them having <laughs> breakfast there while the other ones are, you know, having their having their drunk food. And, and they coexist. And I love that. You know, it's obviously... It has been a bit more, I mean, they, it's been, it's tried to be a bit more suppressed, the alcohol and everything in Turkey. Mm. But, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's going to change, obviously, uh, eventually. It, it, I think you, there's a part of the, the, the recipe that you're speaking of there is this idea that there's, we are all, this is all of our place. This is all of mm. us. And, Definitely. and I, a little more of a collectivist view on, on things, and you know, I, I I kind of yearn for that. Like, if you don't know it, you've never if you've never experienced it. You know, going out in um, in Naples, and at two in the morning, there's a restaurant with mums and dads. You know, yep. people. No one. It's not like the end of the massive night. They're literally just sitting there having pasta yes. at two a.m. And yes. everyone was cool. No one was smashed. Yes. I was like, what? Yes. This is amazing. And I'm sad that we don't have those cultural experiences as you mentioned like to have the like what kind of conversations are you going to have with you know all those kind of people out like what does that do for a community to understand that you see all these other people you otherwise see through your day you know it's a take it's re, it's more than just money over a bar it's more than money in a till isn't it definitely definitely and we have that i mean i and i love and i love that you know because you you go out and you see people in different walks of life and you sh share, again, the sharing aspect of the food. Yeah. You know, you're all chosen that place to go. And every day, I mean, there are so many places that, you know, you go in a different day and there's a different vibe. You know, one day there might be moms and dads. The other day there might be people coming out from a club. Um, but it's always ever-changing. And there's a there's a big focus on coexisting and everyone behaving there because it's our place. If we lose it, you know, like we won't have that anymore. So it's people are very careful about that in that. Yeah, and I, I, I hope we get there in Australia yeah. because when a long, long time ago, I did a TV show that uh, finished late on a Sunday night, 
and we would, I wouldn't leave the studio till 10 PM. And so it wasn't late, but like at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night, I could go to King's Cross and sit down with the people I was with and not have a, you know, and have a beautiful Italian dinner, you know, at 11 o'clock on a Sunday. And that's all yeah. gone now. And I, no, you, you know, don't have it in many places. And, and every so, time it, I have someone coming from Europe, they say the same yeah. thing. It's just like, can we go out for eating? I said, oh, yeah. Not many options. <laughs> no, and it's a it's a drag, and I, it's a bit yeah. short sighted, and, and because I don't think people kind of people who are in policy might not appreciate that this is as much of a cultural experience of a country as is to stand there and look at the opera house or is to go to Bondi Beach or is to, you know, see the Daintree rainforest or to go to Uluru. It is to be immersed in the people, like swimming into the sea of humans at midnight. Uh, This is what it is to be in a country and to not have that. It's like everywhere could be the CBD. Who gives a shit? No one's there. It's so... It's it's a bummer, man. But you know what? What's great is if you get the food. If you build it, he will come. Build it, they will come. If you get the food there, <laughs> you get the food there. Summer, then the people follow, which is uh, mm. which is a you know r- real really important. I kind of love the idea of what you spoke about earlier of eyeing the other chefs off. Like when you're at the Flemington Market in the morning and you see a chef from a rival restaurant, do you do you arm wrestle over the good eggplant? Like what happens? Oh, look, I mean, <laughs> we don't have rival restaurants, so to say. No, we are all, I mean, we are all part of the same community. So we talk about it and we, we help each other. And, you know, um, eggplant is a great example because when you were talking yeah. about, you know, not being able to fire, I came to Australia in 1995. And when I first went for eggplant, I said, where are the eggplants? And they say, here. I said, where are the others? Said, what do you mean, others? That's the eggplant. So that was only one type of eggplant yeah. in most of the in most of the greengrocers. And now with the you know, culture evolving, you know, with the Asian culture and the European culture coming, now you go yeah. to any greengrocer and you can have four, five, six, seven different yeah. eggplants. And that's very important in our culture. Um, and to yeah. see that evolving, you know, evolving from you know, being such a monoculture thing to have different varieties of the same fruit is very yeah. important for our, you know, for our culture to develop, you know. So, and yeah, we just have a coffee. We always have a running joke. If I take someone new, there's a famous cafe in Flemington Market. I always go and say, could you order a, uh, could you order a decaf uh, or latte with double shot? And the guy only does white coffee and black coffee. That's the only two things. That's, so we always send the new people that's coming with us. Could you order me like a double shot or to me a decaf? Coffee and he just, you can hear him yelling 100 meters. It says, no. Oh, he shouts. <laughs> yeah, he shouts, no. We only do black coffee and white coffee. That's <laughs> it. I can't wait to come and eat at your vegetarian restaurant. And um, mm. look, mate, it, it, I, I, if anything, I would love to have a, a Turkish coffee with you uh, one day. Because that will be great. It, but yeah, come mate, to the restaurant as well. I love it. And I, I miss it. That's that's one, that's one thing about Turkish food. You know, it's just everyone thinks about it's about bread and kebabs. But no, it's like the, no. the variety of the Turkish food, especially on the Aegean coast on the western part. It's a mm-hmm. vegetarian heaven. You'll love it if you come. Oh, to Turkey, mate, mate, I know, mate. When it's, I've been in the Middle East, like, if, yeah. it's all about egg. It's all about the smoked eggplant and how you smoke it. It's like, mm, dude, <laughs> very much so. Sure, it's my favorite ever, <laughs> mate. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank and, you, um, oh, mate, I'm so grateful, and I'm very hungry again. And um, if people want to, if people want to support you and uh, the the hampers that you are, are selling and the the food that you are selling, where can they go? They can go into my Instagram account, Somar Sivrioglu, and then they would find all the links. I try to put all the links in there. Okay. They can follow it. That will be the best way because it's there's so many of them. They're all in different places, so it's hard to remember. But if they go in there, I always promote whatever we are doing at that time. You're the best, mate. Thank you so much. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much for having me. That was Somar Sivrioglu, the super chef. If you want to support him, you want to support the people of Turkey and Syria, get onto his Instagram, S-O-M-E-R-S-I-V-R-I-O-G-L-U, Summer Sivrioglu. Get along to his restaurants in Sydney if you're around or in Australia. 
and help them out, show some support because you can get a tummy full of yummy food and help people at the same time. It's a beautiful thing. I hope that really, it certainly changed the way and, you know, it, it added a couple of layers of awesome on top of the way I think about food. And it was lovely to hear his philosophies around what food is and what it brings for us. He's an extraordinary man. And I'm, I'm thrilled that I had the chance to speak with him. Thanks for being a part of the show. Thank you very much to everyone that helped me make the show. Andy Marr on audio and video post-production. Bree Steele on research. Mike Mills, toe hider, who made all the music. And Rachel Barrett, the executive producer of everything. If you want tickets to come see our live show, come check it out. It's you, it's me, it's fun. There's bits of it on my Instagram if you want to know what it is. I'll scroll back through the last couple of Fridays to check it out. But I'd love to see you there. May 3rd, May 7th, Sydney Comedy Festival. Tickets in the show notes. Have a fantastic, fantastic day. And I'll talk to you Wednesday. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.